From the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, Unraveling the Mysteries of Millennials. Host Lee Anderson, NAE President, talks with Jolene Erlocker, founder of Leading Tomorrow. Let's join in. I'm Leif Anderson, president of the NAE, here today with uh, Jolene Erlocker. Jolene worked for eight years at North Central University in Minneapolis, specializing in leadership training, student development, and personnel management. And then she went on to found Leading Tomorrow in 2013 to equip ministries and other workplaces in intergenerational leadership. She's done research on the experiences and needs of millennials in ministry positions and has documented her findings in her book, Millennials in Ministry. She also teaches continuing education courses for Edusfire and graduate courses on organizational leadership at North Central University, although she's living in Central North Carolina. Jolene, thanks for joining us today to talk about a topic that I know you are passionate about and lots of people are really interested. Thanks so much, Elise. I am passionate about this topic and it's an honor to be here today. So let's start at the beginning. How did you come to be interested in millennials and particularly how millennials interact in ministries and workplaces? Well, it was actually during my time at, uh, in Christian higher education uh, where we were seeing a lot of young people coming in passionate to serve God and use their gifts and skills in ministry. They would graduate with a degree related to that. And then seeing them go out into a variety of ministry contexts and in many cases flounder um, just become very discouraged, become uh, disillusioned, in some cases walking away from ministry altogether, and in worst case scenarios, walking away from their faith. And just watching this for several years kind of unfold, I felt like there was an ethical need <laughs> for us in higher education to understand what was going on with this trend. So that's really what propelled me into, ministry, or into studying millennials in ministry, was just kind of seeing that trend of a lot of young people graduating passionate and then becoming disillusioned. All right, so let's talk about uh, defining millennials. And there are different definitions. Yeah. Usually I hear that you, the starting point is uh, 1980, birth in 1980, but there mm -hmm. seems to be a lot of differences on what the dates are. So what are the dates you go with? And how do you define what a generation is? Yeah, well, there is a lot of different, uh, you know, different opinions on the dates. And so I use those lightly. I would, I would use 1980 to mid-90s. But really what we're looking at is the group that's, you know, early 20s through mid-30s right now, give or take a few years. <laughs> so uh, what we want to think about is a generational cohort. So millennials, you might have somebody who's a little bit younger who identifies as a millennial or someone a little bit older who doesn't. Um, just it's really more of the mindset or the perspective. So what impacts a generational cohort are really three things. The first one is obviously age. You know, younger people tend to have different perspectives than older people. Uh, we tend to be very idealistic and invincible when we're, you know, 18. And after life hits us over the head for a few decades, we get a lot more realistic. So you have some of those age effects. Um, where you see younger people just kind of have certain mentalities. But really the two things that set aside a generational cohort are what we call period effects or cohort effects. And these are how significant events affect us based on the period of life that we're in. So if you think of the recession in 2008, how that affected a 22-year-old who was graduating with $80,000 in debt and unable to get a good job, um, versus someone who was maybe 60 or 65 approaching retirement and losing some of their savings, 
their perspective on the economy, on jobs, on savings would be impacted differently based on where they're at. So uh, that's one thing that can kind of affect a generational perspective. And then the third one is really what are the trends or things going on when we're developing our identity as teenagers, as kids, as young adults um, that really impact us and, and kind of form us into who we are. So if you think about millennials, you know, things like 9-11, uh, the recession, technology, student-centered education, a lot of those things, helicopter parenting, of course, those are things that were, you know, impacting them as they were developing their personality. And so it creates a unique cohort with a unique view and perspective, behaviors and preferences. And so that's really what, um, you know, makes us a generation is those things that kind of give us a similar perspective to the people who are similar age as we are. Just a, another side question here on this. So there have got to be variations by regions of the country, by Absolutely. race, yep. by uh, immigrants, by social class. So there's the generation, but there have got to be subsets within the generation. Is that right? There, there are. But what we're seeing, and that's that's a great insight because, you know, a lot of what I see just um, as I'm talking with people across the country is often, you know, people in rural areas are maybe, you know, they're a little bit older before they identify with being millennials or so forth. So you're right, there are definitely a lot of differences. But with millennials, because of technology and globalization, uh, what we're really seeing is that millennials worldwide even um, share more uh, similarities than they do with older generations of their own demographic, whether it's race, ethnicity, region, whatever. So it's very interesting. One of the things that's setting millennials and Generation Z, who are, who are the high schoolers and, and uh, middle schoolers right now, apart from older generations, is that they are very much more similar to one another than we saw maybe in previous generations. So there are still nuances, but there are a lot of similarities. A lot of past talk has been about baby boomers, 76 million of them born, and, mm -hmm. and still because 10,000 a day are reaching the age of 65. But the conversation seems to have switched more to millennials because there are more of them. That's part of it. But why is it important to study and talk about millennials? And, you know, it seems like there was a day when we were talking about Generation X and that day quickly passed and yes. it's kind of been forgotten in the difference mm -hmm. between boomers and millennials. Mm hmm. Yeah, I like to joke because I am an Xer that, you know, we Xers just have to study boomers and millennials because nobody talks about us. <laughs> so, um, but you're right. It's the size of the baby boomer cohort, which was the largest generation in, in American history, you know, previously. And then millennials now the largest generation in American history. So just the, the sheer size of those generations has dictated a lot of attention um, and just caused a lot of things to be catered towards them because of their sheer size. Uh, so that's one piece of it. Um, another thing that we see with generational cohorts as we look throughout history is that you tend to have a dominant generation and then uh, a less dominant generation followed by a more dominant generation. So there's kind of this ebb and flow or pendulum swing. How and Strauss talk about this a lot in their generational studies. So really Xers, and now Generation Z, who's the younger generation, are more of the, the non-dominant or less dominant generations, whereas boomers and millennials are the more dominant. So that's one of the reasons. The other thing that I think is so key for us to understand with millennials, why millennials really do merit the attention that they get, is because we, our society in the last several decades, uh, starting really with the 60s and 70s, um, 
has undergone massive cultural shifts. So when we look at the scope of history, we see that every couple hundred years in a society or civilization, there's massive cultural upheavals. So if we go back a couple hundred years, we have things like the Age of Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution, which propelled us out of an agrarian society into an industrial or urban society. A couple hundred years before that, we had the European Renaissance, which propelled us out of the Middle Ages into the modern era. Okay, so we see this trend where every couple hundred years, there's massive cultural upheaval that reorders the whole way that a society functions. And right now, with postmodernism and a lot of other things related to that, we've seen a massive shift in how our society functions and how we view things and our worldviews and values. You see that playing out every time you turn on the news, right? <laughs> so there's a lot of chaos, a lot of, um, you know, uh, just strong feelings about things because we kind of have these two colliding worldviews right now as we navigate this transition. What makes millennials so significant is they're the first generation of what I call postmodern natives that have been fully raised, educated, trained in the new cultural mindsets that are emerging that really represent the future of where our society is going. So not only are we looking at an, a generational gap with millennials, we're looking at a cross-cultural gap. They truly have a different set of values and worldviews. And that's being, you know, then that goes on to Generation Z, which shares a lot of those same values. So we're really looking at a whole different uh, culture that's emerging, and millennials are just kind of the front end of that. All right. So how a generation responds to these significant changes that are taking place, and it's adapting, it's changing. So that re results in characteristics. So what are some of the main characteristics mm -hmm. of millennials mm -hmm. in distinction from you know, other generations? Yeah. Um, well, I think there's two layers to that. One is, you know, the values and beliefs that they have. The other would be kind of the behaviors. And often we fixate on the behaviors, but they're usually a symptom of the underlying values. So some of the behaviors that we often, you know, kind of focus on are things like entitlement, um, because they did, were raised with helicopter parents and they were raised in a student-centered education model. So just the sense of, you know, things being catered to them. Um, however, they're also very collaborative, very team-oriented, uh, very optimistic. Um, I would say very connected, obviously, with technology. So they have a sense of being a part of something greater. That's part of that globalization of feeling connected to the whole world um, at the same time. Um, they've also been somewhat protected. And so there's always there's not always the same um, sense of like consequences that maybe prior generations have had. And because of technology and some of the, the helicopter parenting protection, there's not always the same problem solving critical thinking kinds of skills that we saw with older generations. But we also see them being much more flexible, adaptable, able to, um, they want to engage with people with differences from them and understand them. So just kind of a different set of strengths that's emerging there. So apply that, these characteristics you've just listed, to the unique challenges for millennials who are in ministry positions. So what's going to work for them and then what isn't going to work for them? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when we when we talk about the shift from you know modernism to postmodernism, some of the main differences that we're seeing is you know the industrial revolution really 
allowed American society to be based on a lot of structures. So we have our hierarchies, you know, the bosses at the top, and then you have the people who are doing the work at the bottom. There's a lot of structure, a lot of order, a lot of policies, a lot of rules, a lot of committees, <laughs> those kinds of things that have been a part of government, of business, and of ministry. And so um, what millennials are, the, the postmodern mindset is a lot more organic, more flexible, more horizontal, right? So millennials who are maybe used to, hey, they can set up their own business online. Um, they can do, you know, and run it from their, their bedroom. They can, you know, com communicate with people on social media around the world. They can make things happen very quickly because of the resources at, at their fingertips and the way that information is flowing, the way that organizations are starting to function. Often find themselves in ministry context where there's still a lot of the structure. So they, you know, want to have a, uh, they want to do something, a new ministry initiative or something, and there's five committees it has to go through, you know, budget has to be approved and it has to be, you know, is it aligned with the vision and the mission, all those things which are really, really good and important, but can be very frustrating to a young person who just has all these tools at their fingertips to make things happen. I think um, another thing that we're seeing is just changing styles and expectations in leadership and what leadership should look like. So, um, you know, we've, we've moved really from leadership being very directive. So the leader has all the information. The leader gives direction, gives mandates, helps people figure out what to do to a world where there's so much information coming at us at any moment. A leader truly cannot even know all the information needed to make a decision. And millennials intuitively understand that. They're so connected. They understand, you know, they can, I teach college courses. My students can Google in five minutes everything that I learned in, you know, 16 years of education. <laughs> so, um, they, they, we have to view leadership in a different way. It's not necessarily the person at the top or sitting in the corner office or the person who has all the knowledge um, giving directives to other people. But millennials really want leaders who are more facilitators, who are there to empower, to coach, to guide, um, and, and to help them figure out what's the best strategy, but not just give them direction. Um, so to really be kind of their advocates, uh, so we're seeing this in education, where teachers are really more facilitators. Um, they're not necessarily the givers of information as much. And that's really the expectation that then is coming into leadership. So when young people walk into ministry context, where they're kind of told they have to pay their dues, they have to put in their time, don't say anything until, you know, you've been here for a couple of years, that type of, of leadership model, we're going to tell you what to do. Uh, can be very disorienting. Um, they come in with a heart and a passion and they want to engage immediately and they have ideas and they're used to having an immediate voice because they can post something on the World Wide Web as easily as an expert in the field. So we've, we've, those are a couple of the frustrations um, that I hear a lot in working with young people. The, the other thing, of course, is just um, the value system. So traditionally, in modernism, we've made decisions based on fact, logic, and reason. And that has informed even our apologetic and the way we do ministry. You think of things like the Four Spiritual Laws and the Truth Project and things like that, where we tried really to logically bring people to a point of faith. What we're seeing with postmodernism is that story, emotion, and experience are much more um, important in how people make decisions. They're making decisions based on different things. So even the way that young people want to do ministry 
is very different. They understand that a logical sermon is not going to necessarily appeal to their peers. They know there's got to be there's got to be authentic stories. There's got to be real relationship that is appealing to people's emotions and experiences. And we've got to walk with people through experiences um, in different kinds of ways. So maybe being asked to sit in an office, you know, for 30 hours a week and work on a really good program does not feel as meaningful to them as being out in the community engaging with people in a real, you know, a day-to-day -day kind of way. So those are some of the frustrations that are kind of playing out as young people are walking into ministry contact. All right, you've used the word frustration several times, and before you used the word flexibility, and it seems that when you mm -hmm. join up flexibility and frustration, there's got to be a temptation to say, I'm moving on, I don't need this. And there mm -hmm. are some who think that millennials don't stay put. They just change from job to job or ministry to ministry. Is that true mm -hmm. compared to other mm -hmm. generations? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, maybe not as much as we think it is, um, but it definitely is true. There are, there are a lot of millennials who are staying put in one place for a long time. Um, but a lot of millennials are moving every couple hundred, or a couple years. There's a couple of reasons for this. One is exactly what you just referenced. Um, if there is a level of frustration, uh, young people, they, they want to be somewhere where they feel like they can be effective, where they feel like they can live out their passions of what God's called them to. And so if they feel like they're continually running into barriers in one location, they are a much more mobile uh, generational cohort. They are going to move on to something else. Some of that, you know, we often view it as a lack of commitment. <laughs> or irresponsibility, because that's kind of coming out of the older, you know, generational mindset, where commitment was staying it was one thing for a long time. But it's, it's just redefining it. They are committed to doing what they feel like God has called them to do. And if they feel stuck in one place being able to do that, they're committed to that passion or that calling more, they're going to jump ship on that organization and pursue the passion or the calling that they feel. So that's where they're committed to something a little bit different. They don't necessarily see the organization as being what they're committed to. They're going to be committed to their passion. So um, they will move on to a new location if they feel like that fits their passion um, more effectively. Another thing, though, to understand is that this is a generation that watched their parents, their aunts, their uncles, their friends' parents get laid off of, of jobs after working there for 20 or 30 years. Okay, so they saw people who were committed to one job for 20 or 30 years, had one skill set, and they got laid off in their 50s or 60s and didn't have marketable skills for other industries or jobs. And so part of their tendency to move around is also to make sure that they have a lot of good job skills, that they're um, keeping themselves marketable. Um, and not just staying in one place where they're not growing. So that's another piece of what they're looking for in jobs, is just the ability to continue to grow professionally and learn new skills because they understand that the workplace is changing very, very drastically. And moving around allows them to continue learning and growing as a professional. So I love this, the combination of passion and flexibility. That seems to me to be New Testament, Christian, uh -huh. exactly what Jesus called us to. And then at the same time, I think, wow, if you've got $80,000 in school debt and you have a job mm -hmm. and you're uncertain about other jobs and uh, there's got to be mm -hmm. a lot of hitting the wall with this combination mm -hmm. of characteristics and then the harsh realities of the world in which we live and the generation mm -hmm. of which we're a part. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
I think one thing that's, you know, important to remember when we talk about any generation is just no generation raises itself, right? <laughs> so every generation was raised by the generation before it. And so the, the characteristics that a generation has are in large part due to how we taught and raised and parented, you know, that generation. And I do think that we um, did a disservice to millennials in some regards by often rescuing them. And I think we're seeing this now with Generation Z, um, even more so in some cases, where because we've had no-fail policies in school, or we've had helicopter parents, or we've made, we've tried to find ways to keep them from failing, what we've done often is not allowed them to fail so that they could learn how to get up and go on and work through difficulties and struggles. So kind of the, the midlife crisis, you know, I think for some millennials is going to be no longer is, you know, no longer being young adults as they're approaching, you know, the oldest ones are approaching 40 here in a few years, is there, there are these realities now of having parents who can't take care of us, but we have to take care of them, you know, and, and those types of things. So I think for millennials, uh, for some of them, there is going to, there is a, a large struggle in having to navigate reality without having had that practice as a young person and how to navigate failure and difficulty and become resilient. So we're often seeing a lack of resilience or a lack of, you know, what some people have called the grittiness um, to like really push through things because we did rescue them and help them and give them a trophy even if they failed and didn't teach them the, the beauty of failure and getting up out of failure and succeeding. So I think, especially as we think about youth ministry and parenting and, and children's ministry and those things today, to really learn some of those lessons as we think about how do we train Generation Z to be really um, resilient in a world that is becoming more complex and in some cases a little scarier, you know? Um, so um, you're right. There is a lot of a lot of things that millennials are navigating that are, are really difficult because of some of the skills that were not taught to them early in life and they're having to figure out now. All right, let's imagine a situation where you are a consultant and you're talking to a church or the, some parachurch organization that is well-established and has lots of rules and traditions and has been really successful with them. Mm -hmm. And uh -huh. now they've got to change. And the mm -hmm. question is, how do they need to rethink, not from the millennials' point of view, but from their point of view, how do they rethink in order to attract and retain this generation so they'll be in ministry uh -huh. leadership? Uh -huh. I think the thing, you know, I grew up as a missionary kid um, in another country. And so I think one of the things I often encourage, you know, established ministries and leaders is to just adopt a missionary mentality. What we really have to do is acknowledge that um, what has worked for us with boomers, Xers, the silent generation before boomers in a very modern society um, is, is very different methods than what we're going to do with it postmodern society uh, with Generation Z and millennials and those that will follow. So just the same way that my parents, my family, you know, we, we took the same faith into a different culture, but we had to learn and observe and figure out what strategies were going to work in that culture to convey the same message. The message does not change, right? Um, and one of the, the big things for those going doing cross-cultural ministry is to learn from the people in that culture, right? To have cultural guides. <laughs> And so that's where I would really invite, um, you know, established leaders. We have to have reverse mentors in our lives. 
we have to have those young people who are coaching us on the cultural norms, are helping us understand the language, the values, how things are going to be perceived by their peers. Um, so we have this, this is a season in which mentorship does not go one way. It has to go both ways. So I would say for established leaders, find those reverse mentors, those young people who can really be your cultural informants. Um, I also would say for ministries, you, we need young people on every type of committee. <laughs> you know, we need to be engaging their perspective, their, their mindset, because what we have to, we really have to adapt that missionary mindset of thinking this is a whole new culture now. So how do we change our structures, our methods, our policies to really engage a new, um, a new culture, a new mindset? That doesn't mean changing the message. It just means doing cross-cultural ministry. That, and the other thing is we really have to be willing as the, as the older leaders, um, as the established ministries, to say, at what cost am I willing for my ministry to to become ineffective or, or kind of fade away versus what am I willing to let go of so that it can remain effective for the long term? And that's where I really see as I do consult with churches and organizations, the kind of the difference, those who are saying we're willing to be uncomfortable, you know, as we near the, the, you know, the end of our career, we're willing to be uncomfortable. We're willing to be learners. We're willing to be um, change agents which is very uncomfortable when you've done something one way for 20 or 30 or 40 years. Um, but those are the people who are really engaging this next generation in a meaningful way and making the changes that are going to allow the ministries to flourish in the future. Just recently, I was in a conversation with a, a, a nationally prominent Christian leader, a great success, um, part of the minority community. And he told me a story where uh, a millennial came to work for him, and I think like at a first staff meeting or whatever, the millennial is giving ideas and saying things, and in his opinion, this baby boomer, sort of acting like uh, we're equals here. And I don't know exactly what he said, but he gave the impression that, look, I paid a price, and I know what I'm doing, and you're new here, and you don't know anything about this. So mm -hmm. where's some common ground here? I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I can see the differences, but th there's yeah. got to be some mutuality, some common ground between them, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, the, the scenario you just described plays out everywhere on a daily basis. <laughs> it's one of the main, you know, like snapshots of how the generational like conflict is occurring. And I think, you know, I go back to the mentorship thing as key in this conversation, because for a young person, education now being student-centered has encouraged kids to to speak up, to share their ideas and their opinions. They're walking into classrooms where teachers are asking questions and, and students are talking. And so um, the, the only education that a lot of millennials, Gen Zers have received is that you need to be effective. You need to be verbalizing your opinions, sharing your ideas. They're online sharing their ideas in an instant. So they really do view everyone as being more equal. There's this huge value on equality, and we all have an equal voice. So when they walk into a meeting, they're often viewed as disrespectful, right, and arrogant because they are sharing their opinions right away. And so for a, a young person to also have cultural informants, you know, a mentor who's going to help coach them on this is how it's being perceived when you walk into a meeting your first week, you know, and you share your ideas. It's being perceived by others in the room who have been here for a long time in this way. You just need to know that. So here's a better way to maybe engage effectively. And vice versa for that young person to be able to explain, 
hey, every context I've been in, I've been able to share my opinion. So at the heart of it, both groups are wanting to advance the ministry, right? I mean, they're both in that meeting because they want to see the ministry thrive and grow. So that's where having those one-on-one conversations, relationships, those mentoring kinds of scenarios, you can get to that heart and help one another learn kind of the cultural norms of each generational group so that you can come together on that similar shared passion of growing that ministry in a way that's going to be effective. You've talked just now, but also you've written about and, and talked elsewhere about being millennials, being postmodern natives and how modernism mm-hmm. and postmodernism plays out. Uh, talk a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, some of the things I've mentioned already, just again, I'll reiterate because I think it's critical, is how we make decisions or how we view truth, you know, is, is, under, is key to the postmodern mindset versus the modern mindset. And this can often create, create conflict in, in ministry contexts as well, because millennials um, in Generation Z tend to have a much looser generate our definition of truth, <laughs> right? You know, truth is what seems right to you. Um, there's a lot of tolerance, you know, of other people's opinions and ideas. And so truth tends to be based on what I feel. Um, I recently was at, uh, you know, at there's two different universities in which both cases the students shared the majority of them make their decisions based on how they feel in the moment, not based on fact, logic, or reason, which is how we've traditionally made decisions. So postmodern natives are just wired differently in how they view truth, which means how they make ethical decisions um, of any type. And it really is much more um, organic, touchy-feely, you know, but there's some benefits in it because it's it's uh, really, um, it, it once they decide something is right, they feel it. It's not just in their heads. So this is why their passion guides them so deeply is because it's not just, I know this logically is right, therefore I'm committed to it. They have to feel something. So when the Lord gets into their life <laughs> and touches their hearts and their minds, that's how they make decisions. So when they feel that emotion, that feeling, that experience, experience, they know it's true, like you are not going to, to detract them from that. So there's great power in it, um, even though there's also some, you know, negatives there. I think with postmodernism, you just are seeing a lot more of this organic, uh, the value of this organic networking kind of um, structural style versus a very strict hierarchy, which is playing out in the sense that we're all equal. Um, so those are just, you know, a couple of the things where you do see this postmodern mindset is just, it's very, very different how they view the world. Um, and one of the things that's valuable in, you know, this intergenerational mentoring also is the fact that for millennials and Generation Z, that's just normal. It's normal to be driven by your feelings or your emotions. It's normal to view all people as being equal and everyone having equal value. It's, it's very, those things are very normal perceptions. That's why I call them natives. So when they can talk to an older mentor, they can understand why they're being misperceived because often they don't even understand why they're being misunderstood because the postmodern mindset is just very natural and normal to them. So how does this play out for those who have grown up in the church? There are some Uh, researchers that report that millennials are leaving the church in droves. The general Mm -hmm. social survey seems to indicate otherwise from that. Mm -hmm. How is this actually happening? What what, what is their response? Not as outside of the church, but those who grew up in the church, Mm -hmm. whether they stick around or leave. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, we are seeing a lot of young people leaving the church. And I mean, that's not abnormal. Other generations have left the church as young adults. What, what's different with millennials is that we saw with like Xers, boomers, that as they got older, got married, had kids, those types of things, they would come back to the church. We're not seeing that same trend with millennials. If anything, we're seeing they're going to church less and less as they're getting older. So that is a little bit disturbing. However, it's not, they're not always abandoning their faith. Um, this is part of the, you know, the, the transition that's occurring as well. Millennials do not, mm, they do not uh, value the organization the same that older generations did. Older generations viewed programs or organizations as a way, a vehicle for, you know, achieving great good. Millennials have seen, you know, Wall Street, <laughs> they've seen government, they've seen corporate failures, they've seen failures in the church and nonprofit setting. So they don't trust organizations to do good the way that maybe other generations did. So as a result, they might walk away from the church as an organization, as a religion, as a hierarchy or a structure, but they're not always abandoning faith or a sense of faith or spirituality, you know, um, that again, that passion. Um, is, is still very present. Um, but I think the danger that I see is that a lot of young people, um, because there's this uh, ambiguous view of truth, you know, post-truth was the 2016 Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year, you know, where we've abandoned truth, essentially. Um, so when, when you have a, a whole generation that's being raised with a very ambiguous understanding of truth, it makes it very difficult to have a strong sense of conviction which is why I just believe there's a huge need as the torch is being passed generationally for this generational mentoring, discipleship, coaching, developing the Pauls and the Timothys, right? The Naomi's and the Ruth. Very much this, this walking through life together with young leaders. I call them the Daniels, right? The, the young leaders who we see great potential in and really preparing them to thrive in a new context, one in which we're not going to lead as older leaders, but one that we can really prepare them um, to be successful in. So, I mean, Daniel had a strong foundation in the law of the Lord, which allowed him to stay strong in a very ungodly setting. And I think we need to really look at the young leaders around us um, and say, okay, who are the Daniels in our lives that God is wanting us to really pour into Make sure that they are strong in their faith, that they are, you know, prepared for what God's calling them to and release them. Um, often we get hung up on, you know, the numbers in, in our churches, and, and that's, that's important as well. But I think there's also this part of there are young leaders who maybe um, are around us that aren't, you know, in those numbers, maybe aren't engaged in a, in a local church the way we'd want them to be, but they're passionate about serving God. And how do we really encourage and, and support them? One last question, and that is, you've already given a lot of practical tips. I just wonder if you want to add to the list on how we can effectively mm -hmm. engage and empower this generation. Mm -hmm. As a pastor, I learned an interesting lesson. When we offered a Sunday evening, uh, sort of a postmodern style service, millennials came and just packed the place out. Mm -hmm. And one of the things is they like coming at night better than coming Mm -hmm. uh, yes. at, at eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning. And that's a really practical thing that some churches mm -hmm. can do. What are some other practical tips? Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, one thing that's going to be really important, you know, whether it's from the, the pulpit or, or teachers or ministry leaders or whatever, is just that sense of authentic leadership and, and for them to share stories. 
um, to share struggles. Um, you know, sometimes we can make our programs very polished. Um, and I just see young people really responding to the leaders, the ministries, where they sense that this is a real place where people are real. People share their struggles. People share their joys, you know. So there's just a sense of authenticity. I think that's really critical. And that can be as simple as just even in sermons beginning to introduce, you know, um, just a, a struggle or a failure or a question that we have, you know, to just make us relatable to young people. I think the other thing that just demonstrates, um, uh, I don't know, real openness is just the ability to listen, to ask questions and to listen. So, you know, those, those pastors, those leaders who have young leaders around them and are engaging them, getting their input, um, seeking out their, their ideas and truly listening and then showing that they're willing to follow up on those. Those people are gaining a lot of credibility with with young people as well. And then um, I think the other thing I haven't maybe touched on today is, you know, they're asking why a lot. They want to understand why we're doing the things that we're doing. So the more that we can explain why we do what we do, why did we make these budget decisions? <laughs> why did we make? Why did we do this ministry initiative but not this ministry initiative? Um, so sometimes things that just seem intuitive to us are not as clear to younger people. So to just make sure we're really, you know, clarifying why we do what we do can also just create that sense of transparency um, and help them really trust us as ministries and as leaders. Our guest on today's conversation has been Jolene Erlocker, founder of Leading Tomorrow. And I'm Leith Anderson, and on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Jolene. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.